So we're doing tough questions. These are just questions that a lot of times, if you're teaching through the Bible, you don't always just stop and dwell on these things. And uh, how many have ever heard of the uh, unforgivable sin? How many have you ever heard of that? Uh, so it is, it is something that if you've ever grown up in church and heard Bible studies and things like that. But this is the, one of the reasons why I want to do this and tackle this. And when we tackle something from the Bible, we're not just going to tackle just the verse. We, we interpret Scripture in light of all that the Bible teaches. Scripture will never contradict Scripture. So there's some principles that we can apply to say, well, it can't mean that because this, 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 and this. And so the other thing that we always keep in mind is context. A lot of things when people get confused about what's going on in Scripture and they misinterpret something is they take something out of context. And we've given an illustration almost every time we've done one of these studies. Context matters. Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? What's going on in the thing? Who are they addressing? And what was the topic of conversation? Take it in context of what's going on. So if it looks like I am taking a long road to a short question. The reason is because I want to do it from this perspective. And so and, and it says in Matthew, if you've never heard this, and whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Okay, that's, that's bad. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> it's like, you won't be forgiven today or eternity, and it's just over. And so, I um, mean, it's, it's really heavy. And the reason why I even bring this up is because I have even recently and through my ministry, and maybe some of you guys have too, I've had people come to me and pour their heart out to me and say, Pastor Tony, I'm so scared. I, I, I feel like maybe I've done this. I've, I've said something against the Holy Spirit. And there's interpretations of this. If you ask, what is the unforgivable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? Here are some things that people say. Number one will just be simply cursing God. And I've had people say that because I've, you know, or resisting conviction when God's trying to do something, you fight against him. I've had this, and this is a common thing, uh, is uh, blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And I don't know why, because every time I do this, I try to look up all the perspectives because I want to fully understand. But it is uh, suicide. Has anybody heard that before? Suicide is the sin that won't be forgiven. And it is, you, God did this work in your heart and gave you life. And in return, you take life. And he says, that's the sin that I'm not going to forg uh, forgive because God made you alive through the Spirit of God and you try to take your life. That is not true. And that's another uh, thing that we have addressed in the past. People have come and asked me uh, if, you know, I've actually done funerals for people that were suicides. And the family pulled me off to the side and says, uh, they were saved. It's such a shame that they ended up going to hell at the last minute because of a decision that they made. So here's the thing, when people hear this verse or this topic, they begin to think, have I done this? And I tell you, Satan will use a lot of things to mess with our minds. Uh, have I crossed the line? Have I committed this sin without knowing it? Uh, have I hurt God in this way? Uh, and like I said, I've had a lot of appointments where people come in and they say, the reason why I'm so worried about this is because I did this and I feel like it matches with this verse. And so we're going to look at this from all that the Bible teaches. And so here's the thing. Are, are there degrees or levels of sin? Because the idea of this is you can, you, there's certain sins that God says, okay, but then the other one's like, okay, that is the unforgivable one. So it ties into this. Is there 
uh, an unforgivable sin. Um, how, how does the Bible or how does God view us when we sin? It, that's tied into this because, uh, because sin goes against God. And if we sin, does that mean that we're cast out of the family? And people have said to me, I can't pray because I'm not living right right now. Uh, how does sin affect our relationship with God uh, when I sin? So all these different things. And so here's some principles to understand about sin. Okay, and we're just going to lay down the groundwork of it, like building a doctrinal foundation about sin. <clears throat> and so I know we're answering a question, but we answer questions in the Bible according to doctrine. And doctrine is what does the Bible teach about these various subjects? Number one, this is kind of basic, but let's just hit it. All sin goes against God and separates us from God. So from the beginning, that, that is the, the blanket thing. So it doesn't matter. All sin does. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this is one thing when it comes to sin that it's either outward or inward. It can be doubt that goes against God. That separates us from God. So there's not levels of our sin that makes us lose our salvation. There's not levels of sin that separates us from our communication. When we sin, and it goes all the way back, and I put this in here, uh, for, but by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat it. For the day thou, thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. That was the line that they crossed that went against God and sin came into the world. And so that sin separated them from God. So if you want to know if you're a sinner, I have the short answer. And that is yes, big time you are. And it doesn't mean that if you, if you commit uh, uh, murder versus you told a white lie, it's it, the line of God's holiness is uh, he is flawless and in him there is no darkness at all. And that when I sin, I fall short of the glory of God because he is sinless. And so we have to understand that it does affect us. Um, it's not like our justice system. Our justice system is like well, that was a misdemeanor or that was a, you know, a major crime or a felony or whatever. God doesn't work like that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offended one point is guilty of all. For he has said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, but if thou kill, thou hast become a transgressor of the law. So God doesn't have scales, and we need, to, we need to understand that. Sin of any type on any level carries the same condemnation, and that is separation from God. So it's interesting because um, we, we do that in scales. We, we, we weigh out sin of, of good and bad. It wasn't that bad, or it was... Whoever came up with the idea of a white lie, you know, just, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not as bad, but, you know, that's our way of justifying sin. So just so know, the blanket thing is sin separates us from God. That's where it brings us to this, when it does with our standing of God. So when it comes to, like, can we go to heaven when we're dead in our trespasses and sin, what does that take? Just one sin, one lie, one time, you know? And so that brings it to there. The question is, are all sins the same. So, and, and that's actually like what we're going to lay out with this because that, that thinking leads us to this. Uh, do I? No, you're fine. It just means that we're on the right track. That's awesome. Because that's why I wanted to do it this way, because once you start down that thought process, and then you start having these other questions. Sin does not uh, cause God to love us less. It's another principle about sin. Little sins, big sins, God loves you the same. And it just shows you, but God committed his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. One of the first person to ever experience 
uh, the love of Christ from the blood of Jesus Christ and salvation was who? The dude on the cross. Yes, I don't know if that was KJV, but yes. <laughs> uh, the, du- the dude on the cross. Um, but yeah, and think about what he was, on. He, was, he was a thief to the point where he was uh, guilty to the point of being crucified like that. And so God loved, God commended his love towards him the same way that he would if you grew up in a Christian home. And, and that's my testimony. Actually, me and Moral were talking about this before, just about our testimonies. And I said, you know, it's, it's interesting how some of us have the testimony that we grow up in church our whole lives. We've never been saved out of a lot of things in the world. And, and I'm proud of my testimony. But I needed Jesus just as much as anybody else did. And so you need to know if you are Paul, or let's not say Paul, let's say Saul, that is persecuting the church, or if you are the kid that grew up in church and you've never done anything, uh, God loves you the same. Principle number three, intentional sins are addressed by God differently than sins of ignorance. And this is, we get into it. It's like, are there different kinds of sins? Now, let's just study this out. And that's what I like to do is, is pull out scripture and say, okay, what does the Bible actually say? Uh, are there different levels of sin? And if so, why? Uh, an example of Judas. Let's, let's take Judas. So this is uh, a scripture written about him. In John 19, 11, Jesus said, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now, how many of you have ever stopped to think about that? I mean, think about when, when God's sitting there and he's talking about the ones condemning him. And he said, I'll tell you who he did. The greater sin was Judas. And in our minds, is there such a thing as greater sins versus lesser sins when it comes to things? So what is he talking about? What is the greater sin? But the Bible talks different places about greater sins, okay? My brethren, be not many masteries, masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. This is a biblical command towards teachers that he's holding them to a higher standard. And so he's talking about the difference. If you know the truth you are accountable to follow the truth. Let me give you Old Testament and New Testament and, kind of, and show you uh, these different uh, comparisons. He said also unto me, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than they do. Then he said unto me, thou hast seen this, O son of man, turn ye yet again, and thou shalt see greater uh, abominations than these. And so he repeats that there. And then Jesus mentions lesser and greater in his commandments. He said, whosoever there shall uh, break one of these uh, least commandments and shall te- teach men also and shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do them and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of the mint and the, uh, the anus and the cumin, but have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought to have done and you leave not the other undone. So what, what do we learn about these passages? Uh, Judas knew better. The children of Israel knew better that he was addressing in Ezekiel, and the scribes and the Pharisees knew better. Sin that was deliberate and intentional and willfully repeated displeases God. And when we have the truth, the Bible tells us, to whom much is given, much shall be required. You're without excuse. You know, and so it's not a matter of you went through the world not having the truth or not being told the truth. 
Uh, I think we understand this concept when it comes to teaching our kids. Uh, it, it's, there's, I, I'll tell you a story of showing grace or uh, something when, when we were little. Uh, we had this friend that was a doctor that my mom cleaned their house. So we didn't have rich friends, but my mom cleaned their house. And I remember one time they said, I'm getting rid of my kids' clothes. And, and they had older kids that were like uh, college age and stuff like that and said, would your kids like these shirts? And so um, we were, my mom was like, yeah, it's great. So my mom took the bag and then folded them and cleaned them, and they gave them to us and said, hey, these are a bunch of fun T-shirts that you guys can wear. Well, we went to a Christian school, and uh, during PE, we had to change clothes. So my brother Dave, you guys know Dave, had one of those shirts, and he put it on. And, and I won't tell you what it said. I'll just tell you it was extremely inappropriate. <laughs> For any situation. <laughs> and Dave comes out and he's doing laps around the gym. And I'm telling him, this wasn't just a Christian school. This was a conservative Christian school. <laughs> and I, I remember them pulling him off to the side and uh, saying, Dave, we need to talk. You have to go change your shirt. And Dave was like, wow, this one is super cool. You know, like, and they were like, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> and so we were, we were very sheltered growing up, okay? So there's a lot of things we didn't understand. Uh, and, and so I just remember Dave having to go change from that and stuff. And they felt embarrassed and everything that went on. But I'm telling you, they showed Dave grace because they, did, they knew that it wasn't the sin of rebellion, like, yeah, I'm going to do what I want. It was just this thing that I, I didn't know better. And so that's kind of the comparison that we have. And, and, and a lot of these things, uh, we, we just pull from Scripture to have understanding. And one of those things is 1 Samuel 15:23. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and adultery, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Notice the words, he hath rejected thee from being king. So the, the idea is that, that when we grow up and we know better and we reject the truth, and we, we, rebellion is choosing and desiring the opposite things of God, even though we've been warned and taught and written these things upon our hearts. And rebellion comes down to a heart issue, and that's what it is. That's why he said rebellion is a sin of witchcraft because you're choosing to do wrong. Uh, there is no repentance. There's no conviction. You are just pushing away what you know to be right. Uh, and the thing is, Judas knew what he was doing. Judas chose to do this. And it says in Mark, And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests and be to betray, unto him, or betray him unto them. So it was intentional. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a sin of omission. It wasn't a matter of confusion. It was deliberate rebellion, was what it was. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought out how he might conveniently betray him. And so here you have it, that Judas went uh, uh, unto them, he sought a way to do this, and they arrested uh, Jesus Christ as a result of this. So this was more than a mistake. There was a dis desire to destroy good. It was betrayal, it was bitterness, um, and this consequence that he had even overflowed on uh, anybody, everybody else. You can say sin is sin, but, but to know better and do things in rebellion is held to a higher standard. And, that, and that's what we understand from that. And we're, we're, we're accountable to what we do. But here on this earth, when we do something, we, we, we spread corruption by those that we have influence of because people are trusting us and when they put their trust in us and we don't do our due diligence or we teach the wrong thing or we're preachers having itching ears, we spread the corruption. There is, there is 
there's uh, consequences here on earth, and God can't bless or use people that do that, right? And that's one of the things that we're going to look at. Uh, well, actually, this rolls right into it. There are different earthly consequences for sin. So, uh, and, and then there's heavenly consequences or hell consequences, not heavenly. Old Testament examples of this. Now, now think about this. This is Old Testament, so I know we're, I'm not trying to drag Old Testament law into the New Testament. We're just using this as an illustration. If a man shall steal an ox or his sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So, I mean, that's reasonable. So the idea is, you know, if you, if you, do, if you steal, you busted with it, whether you kill it or whatever, you, you, there's restitution to there. But is there another level to this? Exodus 21, 16, And he that stealeth a man, or we would call it kidnapping, and selleth him, human trafficking, or however you want to put it, and he shall be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. So it's a matter of on earth that there was different consequences to different things. And so sin brings different levels of consequences. And I, I think we understand that. You know, in the eyes of God, we fall short of the glory of God. If you sin and I'm living in unrighteousness in something that we think is insignificant versus murder or whatever, in the eyes of God, we still are sinning and causing a division between us and God or hindering the relationship between us and God. But let's say in the consequences here on earth, is there the same consequences for telling a lie versus murdering somebody? So that, and that's the thing. And it's the same thing is, is the same thing about um, telling a lie versus gossip. When you say it has the same consequences, well, the gossip spreads and causes hurt on other people. There's a lot of other illustrations that we could use for that. The sin of anger versus the sin of stealing or whatever. There's different consequences. So whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and know that no murderer shall have eternal life abiding in him. So Bible, Old Testament, New Testament talks about that there's different, these different consequences. So, and, and I think that's an easy one to understand when it's here on earth. Um, but there are eternal consequences for sin. And this is one that gets a little deeper. Um, and thou Capernaum, when Jesus comes in there and Jesus is healing and doing many wonderful works and, and he's teaching them and preaching and doing all these things, he said, which thou art exalted in heaven and brought down to hell. Uh, for if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom than in the day of judgment for thee. Jesus was teaching about how he did these great miracles in front of them, and they were still rejecting them. And he said, here, Sodom and Gomorrah never even had the chance to be able to hear that. Uh, but he mentions there, and that's all we know of this, that it shall be more tolerable in the day of judgment. And so I think that goes into uh, the different levels that we know of punishment and things like that. And so there's a lot of studies that have been done and a lot of people that have their opinions on what that means. But you guys know a lot of times where we draw the line is if the Bible doesn't interpret it, then we don't put our opinion in to interpret for it. Um, but we're just studying exactly what the Bible says. But is there one sin, the unforgivable sin, or whatever you want to uh, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, is there that one sin that is crossing the line? Anything that would go against these things. So 
This is a cool passage because it's mentioned twice. It's mentioned in Mark and it's mentioned in Matthew. We'll look at both of them. Uh, uh, the, and the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and the prince of the devils casting out devils. So you got to understand the blasphemy that's going on with Jesus as he's doing these miracles. And they come to confront him, and they literally say that he is, he is Satan. That's what he's associating with. And he called unto them, and he said unto them in a parable, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So he's saying even your reasoning doesn't make sense. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And how can Satan rise against himself and be divided and cannot stand, but hath an end? And no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. Verily I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Um, and he, but he shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, hath never forgiveness but is in danger of eternal damnation because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Matthew tells the same story, but we're going to just kind of break it down. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So, we have to ask ourselves, what is the exact sin that's being described here? And this has to be explained in context. And that's what I said a lot of times when you don't look before and after and break down the passage, it doesn't make sense. So the first question I want to ask is, who is Jesus saying this to? Because if you're going to say that he's saying this to a Christian, the disciples, the people that are following him, was it a gather of lost people? Was it, you know, outcasts? Was it Samaritans? Who is he talking to? So... Um, it was not unbelievers. This was not directed towards the disciples. It wasn't directed towards anybody like that. It was directed towards the religious leaders. Jesus was traveling. He was teaching. He was doing great things. He was doing these things. But you guys remember that the pride of the Pharisees did not want to admit that the, uh, anything dealing with that Jesus and Messiah had come, that they had built themselves up, that they were the image of what was right. They didn't want to be challenged. They didn't want to submit. It blows me away that Jesus did so many obvious things, and that's the point of this, that it wasn't a matter of that he was making them guess just by his teaching, uh, but he was making it very obvious by the works that he did. Even Nicodemus, when he came to him, and he said, nobody can do the things that you do. And, and, but, but the Pharisees were rejecting this. So here's what happens in backing up in Matthew 12, 14. And the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. So let's just process this. Why in the world, you guys help me out here, why in the world would they want to do that? A lot of spiritual warfare going on at the same time. But here they are experiencing this for themselves of exactly the power of God being demonstrated in front of them. So skip forward a little bit. Then they brought unto them one who had possessed a, a devil, blind and dumb, and healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people saw it and were amazed. Is this not the son of David? Now, you know, you think about it. There was a reason that Jesus did this. It wasn't that he was just claiming to be the son of God. 
even in, in, in the more that he did things, the more his popularity grew and more that people were understanding what happened. He's, imagine all the things that he did and then go to the day that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. You know, you, you talk about somebody that had the power over death, and that's what Jesus said. He came back and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He was teaching this principle of who he was. So, and the people were amazed and saw it and, and, and claimed that this is the son of David. But notice their accusations against Jesus, verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but Beelzebub. He's like, literally, this is the work of Satan, the prince of devils. You think about, talk about blasphemy, and we take it in context of this, to literally say that Jesus is satanic, or Jesus is practicing witchcraft. You, you, you talk about, you know, there's one thing just to, I don't know if there is a God or whatever, but they're seeing it from themselves. So they're accusing Jesus of getting his power from Satan. And notice Jesus' response. And, and this is so important that we take these verses of exactly what Jesus said and not just the verses that are posted because of the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Notice Jesus' response. And he said, uh, that is not with me. Is who, he, he that is not with me is against me. And the he that gathered not with me is scattered abroad. Uh, so he's literally drawing a line, and he's literally just saying, you're either going to choose to accept and follow in this, or you're going to reject me. And you guys understand when it comes to salvation and conviction, uh, he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abideth on him. There's, no, there's only two lines. There's no in-between. There's no earning your way in. And you can't reject God is what he's saying. If, you, if You're either against me or you're for me. And then he turns to the Pharisees and he says this, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So you guys tell me right there, what is he talking about when he says this passage right here? What is he saying? He said, it's not just the words that you're saying. It's not just the evil that you're stirring. He is saying that I can see your hearts. You can imagine that the, there was a few times in this Gospels that Jesus said that he knew their thoughts or he knew their, what they were thinking or whatever, but he's calling them out. Again, isn't it crazy for him to show that he's, he is God, that who else would know the, the thoughts and intents of the heart? He did. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were going. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. He said, you're only saying that out of your pride. You're only saying that out of your bitterness. And oh, generation of vipers, you're just here to cause evil. So this was not about a struggling believer. This was not about the loss. This is a different category. This was about those who uh, knew Jesus, saw Jesus, saw his works, and yet still sought to destroy him. So and this wasn't the first time. They had a history of Jesus uh, being followed by the Pharisees and all the things. And they observed him showing his love, his miracles, his caring uh, for the outcast, the unclean, the down and out, the poor, uh, in, in, in the, the level of the miracles on, on every level you can imagine, which if you've ever studied the gospel, you know what I'm talking about. But they had so firmly set their hearts against accepting Jesus as the Messiah that they were, they were rejecting the truth, even though the truth was so clear and blatantly put before them. They were publicly crediting God's miracles to Satan, in other words, they were calling the work of the Holy Spirit and of God unclean and satanic. 
Um, they, were, they were literally saying what Jesus was doing was sorcery. So, so I asked the question, I put this in your notes, what actually is this sin then? And we're just kind of getting context of this. So wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. So you guys interpret that for me. What is he saying? He said, you know, when it comes to you, come unto me. Uh, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Give me an illustration in the Bible. Anybody at any point in time of a sin that was brought to Jesus that he could not forgive. Past, present, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. Any sin that's ever been. Never. E even to the fact of uh, how many people like the thief on the cross and uh, Saul on the road to Damascus over and over again, we have these illustrations. So he's, he's reiterating and says, there's not one sin that cannot be forgiven. So that right there clarifies a lot of questions that people have from the very beginning. So, but the blasphemy. So he transitions into this other, against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto you. You know that how the Bible goes deeper into that as for like it's um, not now or forever. It's, it's now in this world or the world to come. So this is a deeper sin. This is simply... Uh, it's not just living in sin or cursing God, okay? So we're just putting it out there. So we know that it's not just cursing God because if you say that that's cursing or blasphemy or whatever, we often think of somebody saying GD or cursing at God or taking God's name in vain. That's what our minds think about when it comes to this. Uh, but the Bible says over and over again that no matter what sin we do, whether it's cursing or anything or even shaking our fists at God, that there's no sin that, or no person that's so lost that his hand cannot save or reach out to. The word sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So an example of this is a blasphemer. So let's give an, an illustration of this. So in G, uh, when God's using the illustration of Paul writing to Timothy, and he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me and counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So you talk about this guy's not just saved and put on the shelf. Man, he's giving glory to God saying, I don't even deserve to be where I'm at. And he says in his testimony, who before was a what? Blasphemer. Blasphemer. It's like, and a persecutor and injurious. And he said, man, I just, I wreak havoc in every way that I possibly can. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And he's testifying to these things. And, and Paul uh, knew uh, the scriptures. He, he grew up in all that way, but he was confused and deceived in all the things that he went through. So the question is, what is this blasphemy? What is this unpardonable sin? Okay, let's lay this. This is the sin. Uh, this is when uh, one is denying Jesus Christ as their Lord. Um, the example is given in Scripture in the Pharisees that witnessed the power of Jesus and then accused him of being the devil. This is more than questioning. This is more than denying. But they are anti-God and refuse to submit to the salvation that God was bringing. And I think you guys are starting to see where this is coming, in which we all understand this. It's like, I don't want you. It's a hardened heart. So this blasphemy or the unpardonable sin is when it's denying Jesus as Lord. Okay, that's rejecting that. This sin is rejecting Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall deny me, or literally before men, him also will I deny before the Father which is in heaven. This is a sin of pushing away the work of the Spirit of God that he convicts your heart. And that's why he was convicting or talking about their hearts. And when he said that, he said, Out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. He's literally talking about, This isn't just words that you're saying. This is what you believe.
Where does salvation come from? For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And so it is, it is a heart change, not just a life change. It's not just repeating words. And I know a lot of people say that when they talks about salvation. All you've got to do is say these words. That is not true. You can get anybody to repeat words. But, but what the Bible deals with when it comes to salvation is a change of heart, not just a change of mind. And so Jesus is dealing with the heart of man because Jesus was saying, in your heart, you have rejected me. That is the unpartable sin. So basically, uh, never mind, I'm getting ahead. He says, wherefore unto all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. So think about even when he says that in our context of how does somebody get saved? It's not the pastor preaching. I mean, it is. It's the work of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. But it's the work of the Spirit of God that does that. And that's why we always talk about we're sowers of this seed. We don't convince people of anything. And that is when Jesus reaches into your heart. He begins to open your eyes. He convinces you of your sin. He tells you that there is a God. All the times that you said the fool has said it in his heart, there is no God. You've shaken your fist at God, all these other things. But the Spirit of God goes beyond your stupidity, reaches into the heart of man, and begins to convict. And at that point of conviction... That is where we either quench the Spirit of God, reject the Word of God, or we submit to it. And so um, God does not force anyone to get saved. It's whosoever shall respond or shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved or, or submit to him. Uh, for whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resisteth shall receive to themselves damnations. And, and I know there's a lot of, uh, questions that can get into this about irresistible grace and, and some of those topics that you can't, when God does something, but God has given us free will. And that's why ever, when we read scripture like this, it says, whosoever will may come and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But this does not apply to all the Pharisees. You can be blinded by religion or blinded by sin or blinded by however you want to put it. And, and God still, it's just rejection of the Spirit of God that we, get, uh, that we go to hell because we're rejecting salvation. And that's what I was going to basically comes down to. Uh, the unpardonable sin is literally just rejecting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. Okay. Nicodemus was one of these guys. And he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Stop right there. What is Nicodemus doing? He's acknowledging it. Do you, do you understand that there was something in his heart, even though he was part of these guys that was part of the Pharisees and questioned and saw his teaching and everything like that, it, it was different for him. So I'm saying this doesn't apply to all the Pharisees, even though I guarantee you Nicodemus struggled Nicodemus had the influence of the other guys. He said, we know that you're come from God, but did he get it? Absolutely not. For no man could do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Talk about the contrast where Jesus said, I see your hearts, your vipers. It's not just a matter that you struggle with believing me. You want me dead. And you're screaming out to everybody else that he is of Satan and, and, and is demonic. And then then the contrast, you take Nicodemus that walks in and just says, hey, why did he go to Jesus by night? 
He didn't want to be seen. You kidding? With everybody being like, Jesus is a heretic. I'm going to go hang out with a heretic. I mean, he didn't want that reputation, but he was still seeking after Jesus. It's just, it's just powerful. What is the difference between Nicodemus and the Pharisees? He acknowledged the power of Jesus had and that it came from God. And then later we find out that Nicodemus joins the disciples in all of this. And we, we, we know all this because the Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Holy Spirit speaks through our hearts. But the question is, do you reject what God does? Blasphemy, rejection of the Holy Spirit. So the unpardonable sin is anybody that rejects Jesus as their Savior. And it's unforgivable when you die. And it's unforgivable when you stand before God. It's your only hope. And so the Spirit of God is the work of God that does it. It's not with the mouth. It's not just with the brain. It's not just with emotions. It is conviction. So, and I already gave you the, the illustration of uh, Paul on the road to Damascus and how he's trembling and astonished. And he said, what will you have me to do? Yes, did he reject God. Yes, did he curse God. Yes, that he was a blasphemer in all the things that he did. But at the end of it, look at what he did. He falls on his knees and says, okay. I believe you, and he gets it right. So when a Christian sins, and when we talk about this, it's important to understand that it is about a relationship with God. And I just want to finish with this because we talked about all the different degrees and things like that, but how does sin uh, affect us? Our legal standing before God is unchanged. No matter what, it says that there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So if anybody ever thinks, oh man, I, I followed, I confessed Jesus, I know I was saved, but man, I think I committed the unpardonable sin, there's, it's impossible. There's now no condemnation for those which are in Christ Jesus. Um, I, I, Nicodemus is a perfect illustration of this. You talk about being saved. How do you get saved? What did Jesus tell Nicodemus to be saved? What, was, what was, did he say? You must be Born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You must be born again. He was using a physical illustration to understand that you are born once spiritually. Or, no, stop. Born once physically. To teach the spiritual illustration of what? Born once spiritually. And Nicodemus says, okay, I get it. Do I enter into a second time in my mother's womb to be born? He says, no. That which is born in flesh is flesh, and that which is born in spirit is spirit. You must be born again. In the same way, when your kids are born into the family and they mess up, what do we do to make it right? Convict them. And the, the, it's in your notes I talk about uh, you, you confront it. You, you, um, the relationship might be off, but it's not broken. It's the same thing if you have a fight with your spouse, and maybe none of you do that, okay? So let me just give you an illustration. Me and my wife have had fights, okay? And uh, disagreements and stuff. Yes, big surprise. Now, we're still married, and the, and the relationship is not broken, but there's tension. Things are not right. And the Bible gives us the illustration when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not a salvation verse. And people use that for salvation. That's not a salvation verse. That is talking about being out of fellowship with God. Before I stand at the door and knock, if any man will open the door, I'll come into him and sit with him and he with me. That is the description of fellowship. And our fellowship can be broken with God because sin separates us and quenches a relationship, but it does not separate the relationship that we're born into the family of God. 
And, and that might be another subject for another time. And I often teach on that about what the Bible says about eternal security. But I just say that so you have peace of mind that nobody in here that knows Jesus Christ as your personal Savior can ever undo that because you didn't do it to begin with. It was a work of God through the Spirit of God that he did in your life, and you're born in the family of God. But let me tell you, as our Heavenly Father, he will chasten you. He will correct you. Do you know why he does that? Who can tell me according to the verse? He loves us. And he's not doing that because he wants to hurt us. He's doing that because he wants us on the right path. So grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Who can tell me what are the two things we learn from that passage? We can grieve the Spirit of God, but I'm going to tell you on the other side, you are what? Sealed into the day of redemption. It's a powerful verse. The word, the word grieve literally means to, to make sad or cause heaviness or to be sorrowful, sorrowful, but it doesn't mean to be rejected. So a lot of times Christians walk around and just say, I mean, I don't know what's going on, whatever. It's just like things are not right. Go get them right. Just like if you and your wife have an argument and you walk around the house pretending like everything's okay, but it's awkward, what do you have to do? Make it right. You go get it right. And that's what we do with God. We get it right. And that's what First John talks about of that. So, but anyways, um, you guys will get people that will ask you these questions. And I promise you, the Bible says for us to be ready to give an answer. And so when people say, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin, the fact that they are burdened, that they did the unpardonable sin shows that they haven't rejected the Spirit of God because when they come to you to ask that question, what's going on in their heart? Conviction. Conviction. <laughs> it's like, so there you go. I was like, and that's what I tell people all the time. I said, so you're heartbroken over the idea that you might have committed the unpardonable sin. Yes, I hate that. I don't want to do that. I love God so much. I'm like, let me tell you a story. Because <laughs> they were vipers that rejected God, called him Beelzebub, and wanted him dead. Not the same thing. And so it's a powerful thing.